0: Today's episode is sponsored by Airflow Breast Pumps. Did you know that your health insurance will cover the cost of a breast pump? It is true, guys, I promise. In fact, many health insurance plans also cover milk storage bags, breastfeeding prep courses, and more. At Airflow Breast Pumps, you can shop top-rated breast pumps from brands like Medela, Spectra, and Motif without ever opening your wallet. Fill out their quick and easy insurance eligibility form, and they'll take care of the rest. It might just be the easiest thing that you do during your whole pregnancy. Just visit airflowbreastpumps.com slash nurse. That's A-E-R-O. F-L-O-W com slash mommy labor nurse to find out why more than 1 million moms have chosen airflow breast pumps to get their pump through insurance. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the tools, knowledge, and confidence you need to erase the unknowns, feel in control, and have an even better birth no matter how you deliver. My name is Liesl Teen, mom of two, practicing labor and delivery nurse, and your host. From over eight years and counting of working at the bedside, I know that knowledge is the key to an even better birth. So tune in each week to learn about all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum from me, a labor and delivery nurse that's seen it all. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast, I have a very important and insightful episode for you. I'm gonna be taking a deep dive into a topic that has sadly been coming up more and more in the national news and media. And quite frankly, it deserves our attention. It's called postpartum psychosis. These news stories have shed light on the impact of postpartum psychosis and brought this issue to the forefront of our minds, highlighting the importance of awareness and understanding. I'll be joined by my friend, past guest, and maternal mental health expert, Erica DeJosa, who will provide us with valuable insights, education, awareness, and support on this very, very difficult topic. In our discussion today, we aim to strike a balance between raising awareness about this and providing reassurance, because it's hard to do both. Sometimes when we talk about these really, really heavy topics, it's hard to not increase people's anxiety because it's like, you know, you're talking about it and it's like, oh my God, I think this is going to happen to me, right? But we did a really good job of talking about it, but also providing you reassurance. I want to ensure that my listeners are well-informed about postpartum psychosis, its red flags, preventative measures, but the goal is to not fear monger, right? Because this is a relatively rare condition. So, Erica is going to guide us through the signs and symptoms to watch out for. And we'll also delve into the role of partners and healthcare providers in supporting these women who may be at risk. It's my hope that through this conversation, mommy labor nurse can help foster a supportive environment for new moms and their families. And after this episode, you can keep learning about maternal mental health in episode 142, Mental Health and Pregnancy, Postpartum and Motherhood with Dr. Asherina Reem, and in episode 157, discussing perinatal mental health with perinatal psychiatrist, Nichelle Haynes. But for now, let's dive in and start our conversation on postpartum psychosis. The following podcast episode discusses sensitive topics, including postpartum psychosis, infanticide, and suicide. We understand that these subjects can be distressing and may evoke strong emotional responses. So we urge listeners to exercise self-care and discretion while engaging with this episode. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, please reach out to a mental health professional or a helpline in your country. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. I am so glad that you are here today with me.
1: How are you? Thank you so much for having me back. I'm doing well. I've been in podcast mode today as well. So hopefully we'll see if that benefits us or doesn't. I don't know, but yeah, doing really well. Awesome. Well, today's episode is going to
0: be a very heavy one. So I'm so grateful that you are able to come back on the show. I believe your previous episode was episode 83, if anybody wants to jump back and hear Erica talk. Before, we talked about the invisible load of motherhood on that episode, and it was a fabulous one. But Today is going to be a little bit heavier, and we're going to be talking about something called postpartum psychosis. But before we kind of get into that, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from, your platform, in case, you know, we got some new people they didn't listen to episode 83 before?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I am the founder of a platform called Momwell, formerly Happy as a Mother. We recently rebranded in the new year, and we're kind of like a full service mom mental health platform. How we started was through my own experience, actually, with Having three boys back-to-back in the span of three and a half years, and as a perfectionist, as a therapist, as somebody who wanted to really do things right, I struggled a lot. And I found myself going through my own postpartum depression and anxiety. And in all my schooling and all my experience, I didn't even know that maternal mental health was a niche or a specialty like area to focus on. So the social media page came from there, then the podcast, and now we have a full like mental health platform for moms. That's awesome. I know you've grown so much since way back when
0: when you were on the podcast back. I don't even know if it was last year or the year before or something. But yeah, you guys are doing some amazing things over there at Mobwell. And yeah, super proud to have Thank you back you. on here. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so. Can you start by just kind of explaining to our listeners what postpartum psychosis is, how it differs from other mental health disorders like postpartum depression, like postpartum anxiety, postpartum OCD, you know, all these other ones that we kind of group together.
1: Yeah. So we call anything in this a perinatal time. So pregnancy, postpartum ish time, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And there are some that were more common with like postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression, maybe even postpartum like bipolar. Mm -hmm. But one of the ones that I feel like makes the news or has kind of a big impact at times is that postpartum psychosis because it does come with some unique kind of like high risks associated with it. But essentially, what postpartum psychosis is, is a disorder where there is a break with reality. So, mm. in the early few days postpartum, typically mom might start to have like hallucinations or have delusions and hear voices and feel. As though this is really truly happening and is very convinced that I have to follow through and listen to these voices or do these things because this is how I might save the world, for example, or protect Mm -hmm. people around me. And so while on the outside, some of the things that mom might be saying may seem very illogical to us in this break with reality or in this delusion, it is so entirely like all consuming and convincing to her that she can't see that she's in this state. That
0: is wild. I know. And how scary for the person experiencing it. I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so it's very rare. And It feels like, I don't know, and even a rarer percentage makes it to the news. Like it's not not everybody who goes through this experience has this traumatic or awful experience. So we know about, you know, like one in one thousand moms will have postpartum psychosis and of that one percent only 4% will either die by suicide or, you know, infanticide or something along those lines. And trigger warning, we may talk about some of these things today, and they might be difficult to talk about a little bit maybe of a heavier episode compared to the invisible low. For sure. Yeah. But important to note that it's a fraction of the already very small percentage that we usually hear about and see. Yeah, that's good to keep in mind. Because I know in the intro, I talked about
0: how. It's such a small percentage of people, right? But it's so important to talk about because it can be so, so severe for that very, very small percentage of people. So if there's, you know, even one person listens to this episode and they're like, they go on to experience postpartum psychosis or they have a family member or something and they're able to kind of, you know, learn a little bit from it and resonate. That's why I feel like it's important, but I'm glad you shared those stats because that's good to hear, you know, not only for what I just said, but also I think some people are probably just afraid that this is going to, happened to them because they hear about it yeah. on the news. I know we had recently two stories that kind of came to light. There was a girl who was an L&D nurse, Lindsay Clancy, and she jumped out of a winch. I think she killed her or she tried to kill all of her children. The younger one, I believe, was in the hospital. And then she jumped out the window and tried to commit suicide. But now she's paralyzed. And then there was another one Ariana Sutton, who took her own life. Mm -hmm. And that was just not too long ago that we heard about this. So can you share a little bit of insight on these two cases in particular and help us understand it's awful, but understand anything if there's anything that we can
1: learn from them? Mm hmm. So to put the disclaimer out there, like I'm not their healthcare provider. So a lot of what I'm going to say is going to be speculation. But I reviewed the two stories that you had sent over. And there is a couple of themes and some things that emerge. So one of the things that you had mentioned that I think is really important is Am I going to develop this? Like if I've been struggling with postpartum depression, or if I'm having intrusive thoughts, we can also talk about is this happening to me? Like, should I be on alert? Like, and and this is the response I get from my community from a lot of the clients is like, this could happen to me, this could happen to anybody. And there's a lot of fear that sets in. And so I want to kind of parse it out a little bit because it's important for us to know and be aware of some of the warning signs and how kind of the cookie crumbles. With postpartum psychosis, there is a high risk of suicide and infanticide. It is considered a medical emergency. So while it happens rarely, when it does happen, we have to act quickly. And often the treatment looks like going to your emergency room. It will look like medications up front. Mm-hmm. It's also encouraging and hopeful to note that you can recover and you can recover within a couple of weeks. It's very treatable. Mm. If we know and intervene swiftly, uh, we can make a full recovery and not sort of play into the narrative that's happening in the news. Many women go on after and have subsequent children with a plan in place mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe preventative medications or a preventative team in place to also have more children and, and be okay, right? Mm-hmm. So it's important to note that and also to note that with postpartum depression, the infanticide risk is not really there in the same way. It's not as high, but there is still a suicide risk. Mm-hmm. And that was with one of the stories that you had mentioned with the mom of that had the twins mm-hmm. where it sounds like, When we start to hear things like I feel like a burden and nobody cares about me and these children would be better off without me, you know, I'm doing nothing but getting in the way of this role. I wasn't meant to be their mom. I'm not good enough. That is the voice of postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And while that is not a medical emergency in the same way that postpartum psychosis would be considered, it can range more on a continuum where postpartum psychosis when it onsets, it's an emergency. All of the time, we sound the alarm and we go into emerge for care. With postpartum depression, I think what makes it a little bit trickier for people and what makes us fearful ourselves is that it falls more on a continuum Mm -hmm. from mild to moderate to severe to, you know, sound the alarm, this is now an emergency. And so it is still very uncommon or like a low percentage, I want to say like 1% less than 1% of depression in moms and in women, but also isn't to be like overlooked. Like it's still something that can present in a severe form. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So when it comes to
0: postpartum psychosis, What are some of the warning signs or red flags that we can educate partners, family members, anybody who's surrounding the mom and supporting her loved ones? What are some things that they can be on the lookout for? Because oftentimes I know how this is how it is with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. Oftentimes it's the loved ones who are seeing these things happen before the mom herself is you know, she's experiencing them, but she's not Mm kind of getting it yet,
1: you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of like questioning why this happens. And we don't fully have a firm understanding, just like we don't with, you know, other mood disorders and things like there's not a concrete like gene or test to like diagnose. But we do know that there are a couple of risk factors, even preventatively or upfront that, we are mindful of so if we've got a previous history of like bipolar disorder for example Mm -hmm. or major depressive disorder or other um, like significant mental health like things that have come up in life or our parents or like our mother had experience with that, then that puts us at a higher risk of potential postpartum psychosis. So there are some things that we might monitor for. And then if you've had one child, I think it's like 50% likely to have it again with another child. So you want to have a preventative team in place and be on, you know, medications and things like that. But you can still have a child and there are ways to help, you know, regulate and control that. Just you want to be well supported and have your team. So on the preventative end, there are some things like is bipolar an underlying diagnosis and we want to be mindful and we want to track with our doctor and have, you know, some support in place. And then in the postpartum period, postpartum psychosis usually comes on in the immediate first few days, typically, mm-hmm. and it will feel like a big shift for a partner. Like it will be when the logic isn't starting to make sense or like we're talking about some examples would be not wanting to feed your baby because you think your baby is like a Satan and oh, that you have to yeah. starve them in order to like save humanity ah, or yeah. things that are just very like a break from their typical characteristics in your partner. Mm-hmm. Now I want to pause and note here for a second that when I speak about this with my clients and with moms, there's a lot of fear and it gets modeled up with intrusive thoughts because we can yeah. have some scary and bizarre and grotesque intrusive thoughts in the postpartum period, very common 90, oh, yeah. 99%. So Those are thoughts that pop up out of nowhere, seemingly feel like a play in your mind, very all-consuming, and they might be about seeing, again, trigger warning, like Mm -hmm. you dropping your baby down the stairs or the stroller going off into the water, or you intentionally harming your baby, like accidental harm coming to them, or you intentionally harming them out of sleep deprivation and feeling frustrated and just visualizing doing something grotesque. Now, that is different than postpartum psychosis for a couple of reasons. And I'm going to draw the distinctions is that those are rooted in the reality of the situation. They are ego dystonic, meaning I know that I would never do this. Mm. I know that this is unlike me. This is unlike my character. And actually, it usually creates anxiety and a like this reactive protective response to like want to avoid that situation at all costs, right? So when you are disturbed by the thought, when you feel like, oh my gosh, I want to do everything I can to protect that from happening, that is not a break with reality. That is an intrusive thought that is so common to us. Now, the more postpartum psychosis thoughts, they will speak about something that might seem disturbing to us or like alarming, but feel like very, I don't know,
0: Like you comforted by it,
1: it, but like yeah, like it just kind of flows. It feels like it makes sense. It feels like common sense. Of course, I'm not going to Mm -hmm. if my baby is Satan. Of course, I'm not going to like feed Satan. That's going to take over the world. Like why would I do that? And it just is very ingrained. It's a very like overcoming experience, right? Mm -hmm. And so even that distress alone is a sign that this is an intrusive thought. This isn't you know you veering off into psychosis. And these are very common thoughts. Can they be very disruptive? Can they borderline into like OCD and be disruptive to your life? Yes. And if that's the case, seek some support because there is support for that. Because it's not to downplay that they can be very distressing, but they're not going to just turn into psychosis. I'm so glad you made that distinction because I think that is what so
0: many people are thinking like, Oh my gosh! Wait a second. I was with my infant and carrying him, and I, you know, saw a knife on the counter, and I envisioned myself, you know, stab it or again trigger. I did a big yeah. trigger warning in the intro, but okay, good. You know, it's like it's like. You think that and then you hear this episode and you're like, oh, my God, I have postpartum psychosis. But that makes a lot of concrete sense to me and I hope Mm -hmm. it does our listeners,
1: too. So thank you for making that distinction, especially if you haven't had intrusive thoughts before the postpartum. And I mean, yeah, hormones, sleep deprivation, the utter just exhaustion of parenting in the postpartum period. Takes those thoughts and really dials them up. So we know that like almost 100% have intrusive thoughts about accidental harm coming to their child. We know that over 50% have these thoughts about intentionally harming their child. Mm-hmm. Those ones really create a lot of guilt and. I find that moms start to speculate, like, is this coming from like a desire inside of me? Is this a premonition? Mm. Like, is this something, Mm. am I not supposed to be a mom? And we start to like attribute meaning to them, not understanding that our brain is sort of like misfiring these thoughts in this weird hypervigilant state that has nothing to do with our own desires or, you know, our own like love for our child or anything. So it's a really important distinction to say that like, you know, no, it's not you. And our brain does weird things and we can learn to ride those thoughts out. And that the postpartum psychosis thoughts are distinctly different, delusional in nature and break from reality and Mm -hmm. are very believable to the person who's experiencing them and not generally distressing to the person who's experiencing them. That makes a
0: lot of sense. And side note, I'm so glad that you said premonition because uh, like they can be almost, you think that it's that I'm having these thoughts because they are going to happen. I didn't know that that would like, I never made that connection because I've had intrusive thoughts like that before. Like I remember with both of my kids having intrusive thoughts of finding them in their crib dead, you know, from SIDS and thinking Mm. for the longest time, like, This is what's going to happen like, oh, my gosh, that was probably just I mean, obviously, they were intrusive thoughts, but it makes sense that it was almost, you know, because I'm thinking it's going to happen that it ties into because it was an intrusive thought and my brain was not firing in the way that it needed to to connect in there.
1: I think we place an emphasis on interpreting these. Like, what does this say about me? What does this mean? Is this because I need to be on high alert? And because these thoughts don't just come as thoughts. One, thoughts are just thoughts. Like they're not actions. They're They're not not you. And they're not you you know, not a reflection of you, your desires, like it's, they're just a thought, but because they come with such convincing body reaction, like they really trigger our nervous system and they take hold of us with like a group of fear. It feels like I should be on high alert right now. Cause the fear that can come with them is like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I need to pay attention. So if Mm -hmm. we don't know how to name them and how to work our way through them, It is very convincing. It makes so much sense that we feel like something is wrong. And Mm -hmm. I remember waking up like that, as you said, like thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to walk in there and they're not going to be breathing. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember being convinced that Mm -hmm. that that was the case. And to walk in and realize like it was my anxiety, it was my Mm -hmm. intrusive thought, it was my Mm -hmm. sleep deprived, anxious brain, you know, what a combination and had me totally hijacked, had me totally convinced. So important for us to note because once we name it appropriately, then we can figure out how to manage and cope through those distressing thoughts. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, in light of these scary news stories that have, you know, been in the media. What, if any, are steps that moms, women, their families, loved ones can take? Like you said, if they do have a history of bipolar, or maybe this has happened previously to them, is there anything that they can do kind of beforehand, them or their families, to be more proactive and on the lookout to minimize the possible risk to possibly getting postpartum psychosis?
1: I think knowing and educating yourself on. Like perinatal mood anxiety disorders, generally speaking, is helpful. Like we really Mm -hmm. feel moms from an educational perspective here to know, you know, that there are red flags. Uh, One of the things that I see happen often, I was having a conversation about this this morning, is if you are on an anti-anxiety or depression medication or, you know, lithium for bipolar or some other medication and they have a primary care doctor who does not understand or is not up to date on medications in pregnancy, mm. sometimes what will happen is doctors will suggest that moms stop and halt medications while pregnant. That is a big no-no. That is a uh, puts us in high yeah. risk, you know, for yeah. whether it is postpartum psychosis or just like a relapse of a major depressive episode. Either way, we're at high risk for not functioning at the capacity that we need to. So if you're on a medication and thinking about getting pregnant or are trying to get pregnant and you've been told you need to go off those medications, seek out a second opinion, have Mm. a conversation with a prescribing professional who is perinatal trained, ask them what their experience is in treating people in the perinatal population, There are reproductive psychiatrists out there, albeit they're hard to track down, but there are Mother to Baby is a resource for checking medications. Mm. Postpartum Support International has a hotline that prescribers can call if they need, you know, consultation Mm. with a reproductive psychiatrist. So I would say first... Don't halt all medication. Please don't like speak to somebody and see what your options are. That's a big one. That's sort of on that preventative piece mm-hmm. while trying to get pregnant or while pregnant. Another thing that we know that contributes to all PMADS, not just postpartum psychosis, is sleep deprivation. Mm. So one of the things that I really advocate for is creating a maternal sleep plan, a sleep Mm. plan for mom that is not contingent upon whether baby sleeps or not. I think that we are so obsessed with baby sleep and sleep training Mm -hmm. and figuring out baby sleep because we're so desperate to get our own sleep. And we see it as like the vehicle through which we get our own rest. But like, I have a whole free pamphlet on how to create a sleep plan for mom that is like separate from baby. We know that they will wake up. We know that this is something that, you know, developmentally is appropriate for them, but we also know that we need to protect mom's sleep because, her functioning and well-being depends on it. So mm-hmm. this looks like trying to protect a consolidated, like four to five hour stretch of mom's sleep as often as possible. Mm-hmm. Whether that is through, you know, pumping for a bottle so partner gets up. Whether that is bringing in a supports in the form of grandparents on weekends, and you know, or a mom friend or an auntie or something, mm-hmm. and. Prioritizing and making a plan for a mom to get some restorative rest because there is a correlation between sleep deprivation and the emergence of a lot of things like postpartum depression, anxiety, yeah. and it also plays a role in postpartum psychosis. So that's a really big one I advocate for as well, and we don't naturally think to Mm-mm. plan or prepare for. Mm-mm.
0: No, I love that, and we will absolutely link that guide that you talked about. You said it's like a template or something that you can yeah. just download and it's free.
1: Yeah. It's like 15 pages of sleep plan for mom. It walks oh, you through great. all the different ways to get creative too. If you're a solo parent, like who can you call on? Like, oh, great. yeah, walking us through how to plan for mom's sleep because it's one of the most protective things you mm-hmm. can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure is. Sure is. Well,
0: if anybody wants that, it is in our show notes of this episode. So if anybody listening, go ahead and go there and grab it. It's free. What if you are a loved one or maybe you're the mom yourself and you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, my daughter
1: or my friend I think this is happening what do you do Mm -hmm. so because we're speaking about postpartum psychosis specifically and because it does evolve so rapidly this is considered an emergency if we're suspecting it and now it'll be pretty blatant like it'll be a big shift I don't think it'll be like a hmm is this like Ah. I think it'd be pretty obvious yeah and it's like we need to go to emerge. We need to see a doctor and be evaluated as the safest place. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of fear for moms when I talk about intrusive thoughts or when I talk about seeking help because of fear of children being removed from their care. Like, this is one of the biggest reasons why moms don't talk about their mental health with providers because there's such oh, yeah. a fear here. But in any case, I think that that should not hold us back from seeking help. We should seek help with people who we know are trained in the perinatal time of life so that they can understand the nuances mm-hmm. but when it comes to postpartum psychosis we need to take action we need to go into into emerge yep when it comes to things like postpartum depression it's about knowing the signs and having the conversations or maybe offering to help prioritize their sleep or doing some of these things and then again if it gets to a severe place where were concerned or worried, then we maybe set up an appointment with a therapist or talk to your primary care doctor and and initiate some of these conversations. And actually, that's what my partner had done for me Mm -hmm. when I had my own postpartum depression. It wasn't to like a state of feeling like suicidal and things. It was more in like rage and like, you Mm -hmm. know, weepiness and but still a real inability to function. And my husband was hearing my red flags of I'm not myself and Mm -hmm you know, people don't care type of stuff and came home from work, cleared the schedule and booked me in with my doctor and everything kind of shifted from then on. So partners play such a huge role in knowing what the baseline typically is Mm -hmm. and then seeing when it varies from that baseline. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause they are with
0: mom. Most of the time they're the one that's there the most. So they're probably going to be the one that's seeing it first. Yeah. Yeah. Scary stuff. What about healthcare providers, us as nurses or doctors or, you know, anyone in the healthcare field who, you know, is seeing these women maybe during pregnancy or afterwards, how do they play a part? And then are there any like resources? I know you talked about a few resources, but any resources for them as healthcare providers or
1: resources as healthcare providers that we can provide to moms? hmm. It's interesting because it comes in the time of a conversation right now where the Canadian Medical Association Journal mm-hmm. just put out a universal sort of recommendation against the screening for postpartum depression and perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Oh. And so there's been some uproar amongst the, you know, perinatal professionals here because why you know it's running under the assumption that doctors are taking the time to do clinical interviewing and it made a lot of assumptions that are just frankly not happening yeah and so really leaves mom's that much more like under the radar and falling through the cracks. So I think that as professionals, whether we're doctors or therapists or, you know, prescribers, nurses, knowing how to screen, knowing some of the questions to ask. And if we have a hunt or if something isn't feeling right, knowing a little bit of what we're looking for. And there's some education in that, you know, and not always do we call them GPs here, general physicians or primary doctors have the time or have the desire to learn and do that. But a screening is a really great place to start. And then for those who might work more in the birthing profession and in this realm, knowing, like we said, some of the things that put us at high risk. So if I'm like working in a birthing environment and I know that a mom has come in with like a history of bipolar or something, then I might bring up a conversation or have a information sheet to hand to the family as they're leaving. So there is a general sort of knowledge there and it comes with like a screening and Mm -hmm. yeah, being aware to know when to have that conversation, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And listening to episodes like this, hearing it, you know, more helps us better as healthcare providers, because I'll be the first one to say when I was pregnant, well, not when I was pregnant, but after I had my first one, I'm a healthcare provider. I've been a nurse for gosh, 10 years now. Mm I had worked in labor and delivery for a couple of years at that point. And I knew what postpartum depression was. I really didn't know what postpartum anxiety was because it really wasn't, people weren't talking. um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's like this, I think also just helps everybody is just talking about it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I totally agree. And the thing about the pregnancy and postpartum period that makes it so complex to identify like 50% of women with postpartum depression go undiagnosed because these things mirror normal experiences in pregnancy and postpartum often. Mm -hmm. And not the break with reality psychosis piece, but a lot like the fatigue and the exhaustion or the worry and chronic levels of anxiety that are attributed to new mom worry. So it is hard for professionals who aren't you know, thoroughly trained as mental health professional. You're not a mental health professional. You're like a labor delivery nurse or whatever your role is. It's hard to parse out what is a baseline and what isn't when it's all so intermixed and woven together. So there are nuances here. Sometimes things stand out as very apparently sort of maybe off baseline and other times there might be question marks. And when there's question marks, like I think, offering a pamphlet or like just initiating a bit of a generalized conversation can always help just to plant a seed and then they know to be on the lookout or know to go research more themselves. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, to wrap things up on a positive note to you, or can you share any like stories of women who have successfully overcome postpartum psychosis? I mean, I know we can't, you know, we got HIPAA, so we can't really share too much, right? But yeah. anything like that you want to share kind of to wrap up the episode to let people know that like, and I know you mentioned it before, that this is not the kind of thing that last months and months and months and months, like you can get over this in a couple of weeks. And I think that's really, really important to note. But yeah, anything you want to kind of share any Mm -hmm. stories you want to share?
1: Yeah, I actually had done a Postpartum depression versus postpartum psychosis episode on my podcast and had a reproductive psychiatrist on. Mm-hmm. And I received a bunch of messages from people oh. in the community who were like, my experience was, you know, I had postpartum psychosis. My partner identified it. I got treatment right away and I had a successful mat leave or, you know, new mom oh. experience and things. That is more the common experience than what we see in the media. And we kind of take these things and sensationalize them and and run with them. But that's not the most common experience. And I think that that serves to kind of like, shame and destigmatize talking about postpartum psychosis more openly because we yeah. have this very stereotypical, you know, mm-hmm. idea of what it looks like. So there are many moms out there and there are partners who catch on and identify and that have a really successful round of treatment. And treatment usually would look like medications upfront. And this is a little bit different than maybe anxiety or depression, where we might try lifestyle changes. We might try therapy. And then if we're not progressing, we would maybe move to a medication. Postpartum psychosis is medication treatment first, and then maybe we work with a therapist ongoing or have a support system around it. But yeah, within a couple of weeks, we come out of that state and can mother effectively and successfully. And I'd love to hear more stories from people too, if they want yeah. to reach out and we can feature those because absolutely, yeah, we need to destigmatize it more. So yeah, and you're doing that by having this episode as well. So thank you so much. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Well, Where can people connect with you? Because you do so much amazing work. And I mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, but where can they find you like on social media? We're going to link your sleep plan. So that's in the show notes. But where can people, you know, if they want to follow you, where are
1: you at? Yeah. I'm momwell on Instagram. We have kind of daily content going out there. We drop new episodes every Wednesday for the Momwell podcast and we're momwell.com for all kinds of free learning resources, as well as our therapist team that's across the U.S. and Canada and workshops, all kinds of things there at momwell.com. Lovely. Erica, it's always
0: a pleasure. I'm so glad that you were able to come back on to the podcast and talk about this super important topic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Liesl. Wow. What an episode that was, guys. Oh my goodness. I just got off with Erica and it's heavy stuff. This is scary, scary stuff that can happen. And I'm so glad that we're talking about it here on the podcast. And I'm also so glad that Erica really took the time to make a distinct um, difference between intrusive thoughts that moms have during the postpartum period and how those are scary and they cause these reactions within you and how those are so different from A break from reality from this postpartum psychosis. Because I know that so many of you guys are listening to this episode. And before she started talking about that, you're like, Oh my god, I just the other day, I had this thought and is this what's going on? So I'm glad she took the time to do that. Great episode. Next week, we are going to be talking about newborn reflexes. I'm going to be just talking about all of those really cool little reflexes that newborns have right at birth and when they appear, what they are, and when they go away. It's going to be a cool episode. So stay tuned. I will see you next week. Already feeling a little more confident about pregnancy, birth, and newborn life? don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can continue to erase the unknowns and never miss an episode. And if you're looking for even more, Instagram is definitely where I hang out the most. Come join our community of more than a half a million moms for birth education, tips, and solidarity. You can find me at mommy.labornurse. Check out today's show notes and a searchable library of every Mommy Labor Nurse podcast episode at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. And while you're there, be sure to head to the blog to learn about our online birth classes too. See you next week. And remember, you can have an even better birth no matter how you deliver.